Well, when I met with the seasoned sojourners class, do you all know who the seasoned sojourners class is? I may be the only one here in the congregation who knows all the Sunday school classes by their names. The seasoned sojourners class meets under that part of the balcony back there. Pardon me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you were, part, you were part of that class. In fact, <clears throat> it was one of your comments, Merle, that brings me to what I want to say next. And one of the suggestions, I think it came from you in that class, was that our sermons ought to be shorter so that we can allow time for testimony as part of our morning service. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And especially, we want to allow time for Bob and Judy Zimmerman Her to be sharing with us this morning, to be reflecting on the theme of the morning from their East Africa context, where they've been living and working over the last number of years. So um, Bob and Judy, we are really glad that you are here uh, with us during your home leave. And we'll be looking forward to your reflections this morning as part of our morning service. And I also want to let you know there will be opportunity to interact with them during, over our soup and um, bread meal after the service today down in the fellowship hall. We'll have a couple of tables there for you to gather around and we can ask questions and interact with them. It'll be a, a good time to be catching up. So thank you for being here. As David uh, already said this morning, uh, we con as we continue this interim time together to reflect on, we're taking some time to reflect on who we are as a congregation and where we're headed. And I'm just really happy that the worship committee has decided that January would be a good time for us to be reflecting together on our uh, congregational purpose statement that you see on the back of your bulletin every Sunday. And let me just read that. Our purpose as a congregation is to be transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love, to introduce our children and neighbors to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to equip one another to live peaceably and generously, and to contribute to the well-being of Lancaster City and the wider world. These are the kinds of things that this congregation says it is about or it hopes to be, and we're going to be focusing on these uh, each Sunday on a different phrase. <clears throat> this morning we are going to look at the first phrase identified in the statement, to be transformed by God's love, or God's mercy, grace, and love. Now I, what I find very interesting about this is that this is not a starting <clears throat> assumption on which the congregational purpose statement is based. It doesn't read, having been transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love, we desire to blah, 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 blah. List all the things that we want to do because we have been transformed. No. It is stated in itself as a goal, as an intent. We desire, we seek to be transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love. That hit me. And I just think it's a wonderful and a very incredibly significant place to start with a recognition that whatever else that we hope to be or to do together as a congregation, it begins right here with our own ongoing transformation. I find that to be a 
very courageous statement because it acknowledges that we have not yet arrived. It acknowledges that transformation is an ongoing process, that we all are involved in a lifelong process of growth and coming into the fullness of who we are as God intends us to be. And it acknowledges that this transformation th comes through our encounter with God's mercy, God's grace, God's love. Yeah, we have a part in it. We show up. But it is ultimately God's love that does the transforming. This morning, as we ponder what all this means, because there's a lot of, lot of depth here to think about, the Apostle Paul offers us an image of how we might see ourselves and our own transformation process in 2 Corinthians 4, in the passage that Glenn just read for us. Now, to set the context a bit, Paul is writing to the faith community in Corinth. Now, this community, unlike East Chestnut Street, seems to be experiencing some confusion and church conflict, and Paul himself has been under attack. As he writes to this community to address these issues, Paul suggests that followers of Jesus then and now are clay jars. Now, clay jars, as we all know, are very useful. We probably all have some sitting around our house. And in Paul's day and age, they were meant to haul water, or to hold flour, or to store precious commodities like money, or jewelry, or sacred scrolls. But we also know that they are fragile. They're easily chipped, cracked, broken, as is this clay jar here that I salvaged from 10,000 villages this week. I had to piece it back together. Paul himself is no exception. In likening his readers to clay jars, he's speaking from his own personal experience. At one point in his life, when he was still known as Saul, he carried his impassioned faith his, and his very sense of who he was in what seemed to be a very strong, secure, indestructible container. He knew who he was. He knew what God was about. He knew what it meant to be faithful. And then one day, his container came crashing to the ground. One day, on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. And that seemingly indestructible container was jarred loose from his grip, it hit the ground, and it broke into bits. Now, this experience, as I think we can probably all imagine, was devastating to Saul. He was shaken to the core. Have you ever had an experience like that that just shook you to your very core? He was totally disoriented. He could no longer see. Suddenly, this man, who had been so sure of everything, he wasn't sure of anything. 
And for Saul, it's in this place of utter vulnerability that transformation begins. It begins as Ananias welcomes him into his home and nurtures him back to sight. It continues as Saul's eyes are open to see in new ways, as he joins with other followers of Jesus, as he adopts a new name, Paul, and a new identity, and as he hears God's call to him to reach out and share God's transforming good news with the Gentile world. And his transformation doesn't end there. It continues as Paul experiences the healing power of God's love in his life in the midst of danger. I don't know how many times he was shipwrecked. In the midst of hardship, I don't know how many times he was beaten or lashed publicly. In the midst of church conflict, in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of his enduring struggle with his own thorn in the flesh. Paul's life was not easy. Paul's experience of vulnerability, even after his initial conversion experience, ultimately leads him to say, we are but clay jars. And his experiences of God's grace, mercy, and love in the midst of his vulnerability leads him to say, even these clay jars hold God's treasure. In fact, it may be through the cracks of broken clay jars that God's light shines most clearly. Now that's good news for us this morning. Our transformation is not about attaining perfection. It is not about getting to the place in life where we finally have it all right. Transformation is about acknowledging our vulnerability and brokenness and inviting God into that space. It's about opening ourselves wherever we are, as we are, to the healing light and to the healing love of Christ. And it's about allowing the tender mercies of God to enter in and to soften hardened places, to heal festering wounds, to love us back into relationship with ourselves and with each other. Now, if you're like me, Transformation is a lifelong process. In the words of Tilda Norberg, this is how she puts it, God continually invites us to yet another step toward wholeness. As far as I know, the process can't be hurried, and it will probably never be finished, at least not in this lifetime. And you know what? As impatient as I sometimes get with my own process, I'm learning that, you know what, it's okay. In fact, Paul seems to suggest in 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 7, that our cracks 
and our chips are of value. He puts it like this. We have this treasure, this treasure of God's light and God's love in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary transforming power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are cracked, sometimes broken clay jars. And by the mercy and the grace of God, we are still invited to hold God's treasure, a treasure that transforms us and brings light to the world. Thanks be to God.